The scripture readings for today come from Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And from Luke, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Hey, everybody. My name is Harrison Holbrook. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel and thankful to be worshiping with you guys this morning. If I haven't met you um, yet, if you're visiting with us, I'd love to, love to meet you. Um, our theme as a church this year has been cultivating shalom. Um, shalom, as we said many times, is, is life to the fullest. Uh, life as it was always meant to be by God. Uh, it's life that broke into the world through Jesus and the Gospels, and that then uh, Jesus gave his followers a calling to cultivate that shalom in all of our various spheres of life. So we're focusing on that this year. Um, we just went through the book of Acts, um, and this was stories of the early church uh, radically doing this cultivation within the church and within their communities. And, and we hope that those are examples that you guys can kind of take home with you uh, to imitate in your life. Um, usually the first stage of learning something is just kind of imitating people you see doing it uh, in the world, a parent or a teacher or a coach. Um, and we can do that with the stories and acts in the early church. And now we come to our next series, uh, The Beatitudes of Jesus, where we'll get um, more into actually learning the truths about Shalom that motivated those stories and acts. Now, I've been on an outer space kick uh, recently, um, love outer space, and one realization that I came to recently was the bias that I bring to a world map. So every world map I've ever seen looks like, uh, we have a picture of the first map up there. Um, we have that, oh, I have that here in a second. So the, this is what I've, I'm used to seeing, right? So uh, you've got North Pole way up at the top. You can't see it on this map. Then you got South Pole down there. You got uh, North America kind of top left corner, um, South America below it, uh, looking like a little tornado. Um, that's, that's what I'm used to. Uh, if you ask me what's up uh, in the world, I'd say, oh, it's the North Pole is up. And if you say what's down, I'd say the South Pole. Um, but did you know from outer space, uh, this is just as valid of a map, and you can show the next one. This is just as valid of a map of the world as the other map. Um, as you know, there's no reference point in space. There's no up or down. So this could have easily been the map of the world that we decided on. Uh, looking at every day. Um, and so uh, some people even ascribe a northern hemisphere bias uh, to, our, to our map. 
we're the ones who made the map, and we put ourselves at the top. So um, uh, this was disorienting for me to realize a little bit. Uh, you can leave that up there for a minute. So imagine Jesus steps on the scene with his disciples and pulls out his map of the world, and he's like, oh yeah, this is the way I created the world. Uh, you guys have had yours upside down the whole time. Suddenly the disciples, uh, they, uh, if they go up to Jesus' map, if, they're, if they want to go up, they're going to have to go down on the map that they had previously had. Now, if they want to go east on the map they previously had, then they, on Jesus' map they've got to go west. Uh, this is basically what happens in the Beatitudes. Jesus describes what being on top of life on the real map should look like. And it's, blessed are these particular people. And they're the exact opposite of who we put on the top of our map. It's not the wealthy, it's the poor. It's not the happy, it's those who are mourning. It's not the big personalities, but those who are meek. It's not the full, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that are on the top. Uh, The bottom of our map are the top of Jesus' map. Now, this is really important. The reason we chose this series is to, to be a cultivator of shalom. Uh, if you're used to the old map, uh, the way to shalom can be really hard to recognize for you. Uh, it's super counterintuitive. We have to learn to find shalom on Jesus' new map and navigate to it. And that's what this series will be about. And what we'll find is the way to shalom on Jesus' map is actually the exact opposite direction of what almost everyone around you in the world thinks. Now, the first upside-down truth that we're looking at today is, and we can, we can take the map off now, um, the first upside-down truth we're looking at is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus uses the word blessed for each beatitude, and, and some preachers I've heard will say, this means happy. Uh, connect it with our pursuit of happiness. Uh, some people uh, you hear use blessed, and they'll say, um, it means material, materially rich. I'm blessed, which I think is hilarious given our beatitude today. Um, Jesus says it's the exact opposite, actually. Um, but the Greek word for blessed uh, really means having the approval or favor of God. And that favor with God leads to much more than just earthly happiness or wealth. It leads to shalom for you. Life as it was meant to be by God. So being blessed means you have favor with the king of the universe. And that favor makes your life exceedingly good. So in other words, it's the most important thing for you and I to seek. So Jesus opens up his his upside down map. Starts explaining the people with my favor who will be in my kingdom of shalom, are those with a spiritually poor life. Imagine the disciples turning their map up and like, what? What are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? Jesus tells a parable also along these lines in the Gospels, which matches up with this beatitude exactly. And, and um, it was just read for you. There's basically two men praying. One, a spiritually rich person who says, thank you, God, I'm not like all these bad people. I do a lot of spiritual stuff. I avoid a lot of bad things. Thank you, God. The other is a tax collector, a bad person, spiritually poor person. He won't even look up to God. He beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me. I'm a bad person, a sinner. Jesus says, the bad person, as he walked to his house, received God's favor and approval. It was justified. 
The good, spiritually rich person did not. A line drawn in the sand. And the simple question I want to ask in our sermon today is why? Why would God not show favor to the ones with the richest inner spiritual lives? Why not favor the good people with the most spiritual discipline, the most spiritual fruit, the ones who tried harder to avoid the bad, who woke up at 5 a.m. to pray and fast and work for years and years, who tithe, who give themselves to their spiritual communities? Why would God not favor them the most? over someone like this tax collector who has done almost nothing good his whole life. This teaching is something that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion and life philosophy. It makes no sense on our map. There are uh, religious leaders and masters and gurus and yogis and monks and activists, the most devoted good religious people out there in the world. And God chooses tax collectors and prostitutes and thieves on the cross as his people. Why? Scripture uh, gives us a lot of answers to this question, and I want to share two main ones with you this morning. It's actually two advantages that the spiritually impoverished have in attaining the kingdom of heaven uh, that enable them to run unhindered into the arms of Jesus. These are advantages also that we should seek for ourselves if we hope to run into the arms of Jesus and one day attain his kingdom. Two things. First one is the poor in spirit have clear sight. And two, the poor in spirit have a clear path. So they have clear sight and a clear path. Before we dive into those, let let me pray for us. Father, um, we confess to you that we have lived upside down lives. Looking for shalom, we have traveled in the opposite direction oftentimes of where it actually is. And that has left us frustrated and lost. We ask that you would turn us right side up during this series. Help us to see your shalom clearly on the map and move towards it in our own lives. And to help us encourage our neighbors towards it in their lives. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So two advantages the poor in spirit have. The first one is clear sight. So we discern this in Revelation 3. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the early church in Laodicea, uh, a prophetic check-in with the early church. And he calls them out for being lukewarm, meaning uh, indifferent or apathetic. They're neither hot nor cold. And he says, therefore, he spits them out. He's using the image of lukewarm water in the ancient world, uh, which was not safe to drink and it was con- because it was contaminated. So he spits them out, which is a sign of rejection and lost favor. And the reason they're lukewarm, Jesus says, is because of their perceived richness. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The image of of this together is uh, of a naked person. So imagine this. Um, You don't have to imagine a naked person, but imagine a person uh, who's poor and dirty and disgustingly sick um, with not a lot of clothes on uh, that you pity and you want to help this person. They're miserable. But they have a huge disadvantage 
to being helped, and it's that they're blind and delusional. So as you're trying to help them, they're pushing you away. They're like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I don't need help. I am fine. It's all good. I'm fine. I'm rich. I prospered. That's the situation of the early church in Laodicea, according to Jesus. They do not have clear sight. And he tells them, they need, you need salve from me to anoint your blind eyes so you can see more clearly. And if they could see, uh, they would notice one of the more radical teachings of the Bible that basically everyone's true spiritual condition in the world is wretched, pitiable, poor, and naked. That's the root of this upside-down beatitude this morning. It's everyone. It's Mother Teresa. It's Gandhi. It's Muhammad. It's Siddhartha Buddha. All spiritually bankrupt people. Uh, sick, wretched, pitiable beggars. But only some people see that. And this truth is throughout the Bible. It starts with Adam and Eve sinning, and then something changes in the fundamental nature of humanity. Something evil is passed down in Genesis like a disease. Sin starts spreading like wildfire. Um, Cain kills his brother Abel. Lamech boasts of his murderous heart. And then in Genesis 6, it says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Every intention of man's heart was only evil continually. This meant sin and evil infected every single thought and part of us. And all people had it. This doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could possibly be. But it does mean that every thought and action that you have done and taken has been tainted with this thing. This continues throughout the whole Old Testament. Every single person constantly tainted. Even when we get to the best kinds of people. Like the man after God's own heart, King David. We see him commit adultery and then kill the husband to avoid detection. And this leads Paul to summarize humanity in the New Testament. He says, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What Paul is saying is that everyone is spiritually poor. The Pharisee, as well as the tax collector, the best person you can think of, all dirt poor, and that includes me, your pastor. And includes you. And the question, though, is whether we can see it. Whether you feel it. Whether you act like it towards other people, towards Jesus. And that's what Jesus is getting at in our beatitude. Now, why would all this matter? Uh, so why would seeing it matter? Uh, so, so one initial key to treating a disease, uh, I think, is the proper diagnosis. The patient uh, needs to be convinced themselves that the diagnosis uh, is right to follow through with the treatment, especially if the treatment's going to be hard. So imagine two people going to the doctor, uh, both uh, people my age, and the first uh, has a late-stage terminal illness and is totally convinced uh, that uh, due to the MRIs and CAT scans that, that uh, he has that illness. Uh, and the doctor says, well, we might be able to heal this. It's about 50-50. It would take chemo for many years, decent portion of your money. You'd feel really bad, lose your hair. You might not be able to do much during that time. Do you want to try? Uh, for me, it would be a pretty easy decision. 
It's like, well, if it's this or dying soon, then yeah, I'll try anything. Let's go for it. Now imagine a second person goes in to be treated for what they're convinced is heartburn. They have read all the, the literature, the relevant literature on WebMD uh, on their computer. They've Googled it. They don't need to pay a lot of money for an MRI or anything. And they tell the doctor, I'd like my acid reflux medication, please. But the doctor knows from the symptoms that it's actually the exact same condition as the first guy. The doctor says, uh, well, we might be able to heal this. It's 50-50. It would take chemo for many years, a decent portion of your money. You might feel pretty bad, lose your hair. You won't be able to do much during that time. Do you want to try? Pretty different response, you would imagine, from the second person, right? It's a lot for my heartburn. Talk. Uh, I may try and go somewhere else, try and find someone who has the medication that I'm looking for, who will just give me a prescription. Notice that the first person coming in has the advantage of clear sight. And he leaves the doctor with a chance of beating this illness. But the other one, unless he opens his eyes, uh, will certainly die in his denial. The proper diagnosis is everything. So why are the poor in spirit blessed? The first thing is they have clear sight, and this allows them to run into the arms of Jesus. Uh, This is one of those truths that I think many of you have have probably heard before, um, but believing it and living it out is much, much harder to do. So how might you tell if you haven't fully grasped this truth yet? I think you may fall into two illusions, uh, two kind of blind illusions as you navigate your Christian life. Uh, from this blindness. And these are also illusions that um, I've fallen into at certain points in my Christian life. Um, one is uh, those who operate out of a false spiritual rich richness, who are not spiritually poor, have the illusion of good days and bad days spiritually. You may have a list of criteria in your mind that you made up. If I'm doing my 30-minute quiet time each morning, check off the box on my Bible reading plan, say a few things in prayer to God, if I'm going to church and community group, if I'm doing uh, this short list of things for God and others that I've made here, while also not doing these sins that I really notice and think about a lot, uh, not you know getting mad with my wife and kids, not yelling at my roommate, not scrolling too much on my phone, if I can pull this off, these four things, with these not doing these four things on the same day, you ask me how I'm doing, it's like, I'm doing pretty good, actually. <laughs> doing pretty well spiritually today, uh, pretty rich, actually, thanks for asking. But if you don't meet those criteria in your mind, if you skipped your reading plan, uh, was short with someone at work, suddenly you're in the doghouse with God. I'm ashamed. I'm struggling today. God, I didn't live up to your standard today. If you experience these kinds of ups and downs, it's evidence that you haven't fully grasped the truth of this beatitude. Because to Jesus, that entire system is a blind illusion. In fact, Jesus might say that you're poorer on your best days because you're adding blindness to your wretched, pitiable poverty. The criteria you make in your mind are so often so much less than Jesus really asked for or commanded of you. He commands love for God with your whole heart and mind and soul and strength. And you're like, all right, I got you. Here's 30 minutes of distracted reading and prayer. Check. He commands you to love your spouse as he loves the church, or as the church loves and respects him. And you're like, great, I didn't leave the toilet seat up today, so check. (laughs) This 
doesn't mean our small acts of obedience aren't um, good things. doesn't mean they're bad, but it does mean that you have to compare those acts to Jesus and his standards only. And if you do, you'll find that your best days need a lot of confession and repentance. And even your most heartfelt repentance needs repenting of. For the spiritually poor who see clearly there are no good days or bad days, you're always coming to God as this tax collector did. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the first illusion that being spiritually poor gets rid of. The second um, is 